Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about a very relevant and controversial topic, planning for a Parnassah or not planning for a Parnassah. That is the question. Should a yeshiva bachar start thinking about a plan for a Parnassah while in yeshiva or do you delay that as long as possible until it's absolutely necessary? We will not only talk about those who are going to be going into the working world, the business world, but also those who will be staying in teaching and rabbanis. Do they have to think about these uh, issues, making ends meet, planning for the future, or is that not something that they should be thinking about until absolutely necessary? We'll also talk about, quote, I want to learn. Is that enough of a plan? And we'll also talk about young ladies. Should they be thinking about a Parnassa plan as well? We will speak with a number of very experienced guests on this show who deal Deal with these issues day in, day out. We will start speaking with Rabbi David Kaplan. He's the Mashkiach Ruchani of Yeshiva's Beis Yisrael. He deals with Bachrim. He deals with Avrechim. He deals with their parents as well. To have a plan, to not have a plan, concerns the parents that their children don't have a plan. How do you deal with these issues? And how should a child speak with the parent when the parent uh, wants a plan and the child does not want to have a plan? We will then speak with Mrs. Elishevalis, the licensed marriage and family therapist who deals with these issues in advance of marriage, post-marriage when there wasn't planning. We'll also speak with a number of shatchanim, dating coaches, and this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Two conversations. The first one is going to be with Mrs. Miriam Levitan, the noted shatchan in Israel, and we will see if young ladies are looking for a young man who has a plan, or is that something that they're not interested in? Rather, she take the like to take the all of earning the parnasa upon herself, the yoke, the burden of uh, Parnassah upon herself, and have her husband focus on learning, or on the other side is, are women nowadays specifically looking for somebody who does have a Parnassah plan? So that will be the conversation with Mrs. Miriam Levitan, focusing on Israel, and then we will also a little bit later in the show speak with Mrs. Bella Beer, who is a dating coach, also a shotgun, to get the view of what's happening in the United States. Same question, same question, but is it different in the United States from Israel? And we will also speak with Rabbi Nestana Lauer, also referred to as Rabbi Tani Lauer. He is the Mashkiach Ruchani of Ma'arava, one of the flagship yeshiva's high schools in Eretz Yisrael, and he deals with Bachrim in high school, post-high school, Avrechim. He teaches Shalom Bayis. He's a chassan teacher as well. Many continue coming back to him for years on end, getting his eights on these issues. Uh, by way of further introduction, when I was speaking with this topic with uh, one of the great Rabbanim, one of the great Mechanchim in the world today, I said, uh, what are your thoughts on a Yeshiva Bachar? Should they have a plan? Should they not have a plan? And he said, let me ask you the following question. He said, what's the difference between a Yeshiva Bachar at a specific Yeshiva? I'm not going to say which Yeshiva was mentioned, but this is what he asked me. What's the difference between a Yeshiva Bachar at blank and a cell phone? And I had no clue what he was talking about. I said, tell me, I don't know. And his response was, a cell phone has a plan. And I think we can apply what we say about Noah, that he, he was a East Tzadik Bedoro Sav Rashi brings the Chazal that they're those who are Doishis L'Shevach they're those, those who are Doishis L'Ganai some look at this in a positive way some in a negative way so we can say the same thing when it comes to a Yeshiva Bach or having a plan. Someone can be looking at it as a positive thing, let them focus on the learning. Don't worry about the Parnassah. Kadosh Baruch will supply. That should not be on their mind until absolutely necessary. 
if at all. On the other hand, there are those who say not having a plan is really problematic. I do want to quote from an article it was written a number of years ago, probably over 15 years ago, by Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, Rabbi Yanki Horowitz. I'm taking a little snippet of it. And he wrote as follows. He was concerned about, uh, at that time, uh, Yeshiva Bachrim not having a plan. And he says as follows, the next step is to start developing a plan for your future life, going into Chinuch, is a plan. Going into Rabbanus is a plan. Striving to become a Rosh Yeshiva is a plan. Becoming a carpenter, an accountant, or a businessman is a plan, but having no plan at all will dramatically increase the likelihood of you leading a floundering and unfulfilled life both in Ruchnius and in Gashmius. And he continues as follows, once you decide what you want to do, think long and hard about what tools you will need to succeed at this vocation and get started on developing and honing those skills today. So that is the tzad, that is the sign that Having a plan is absolutely necessary, advisable, critical. I did want to mention uh, that this question that we're dealing with today, planning for a parnas, in particular when in yeshiva, is similar to a question that was posed to Rav Moshe Feinstein in the Igris Moshe. It was actually also posed to Rav Avadi Yosef in his Yechavadas. But we'll focus on Rav Moshe's question, even though the questions are basically identical and the responses are also very similar. We'll focus on the uh, tshuva in Egris Moshe. Rav Moshe was asked the following question, is it proper to buy life insurance or does that cut against having bitafon in a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that a Kaddish Baruch Hu will work everything out, everything will work and uh, if we're planning for the downside that seems that we are not having bitafon in a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That was a question that was posed to Rav Moshe and responded as follows, there is no problem. There is no lack of bitafon in a Kaddish Baruch Hu buying insurance. And he says, misra. This is like any other business activities. Shadam lo raksha It's not only that you're permitted, but you're obligated to do mischar vavodu to make efforts in earning a parnasa. And in fact, he goes a step further and he says that you are prohibited. It is also to say that I'm going to do nothing and a Kaddish Baruch Hu will send me my parnasa because who says, menalo who said that you have the merits to say such a thing? And then Rav Moshe goes on to say in his tshuva that there's certainly no sin in making an effort, a shtadlus, in looking for an umanus, looking for an occupation that is easier, that can earn you more money, that is not a problem whatsoever, but at the same time we have to have emunah, that is a Kaddish Baruch Hu, giving us the parnas in whatever umanos and whatever occupation we go into. So we have to obviously always bear that in mind. There was Ramosha talking about life insurance. Making the effort does not cut against having be katachon. And we're asking a similar question today. Making efforts, planning for the future, is that cutting against bitachon? But maybe it's not such a good parallel because Ramosha is talking about uh, buying life insurance and efforts. And when we're talking about making efforts, planning a parnasa, we're really talking about the a timing issue. Obviously, when somebody needs to make a parnasa, go for it. You need a plan. You need to have a parnasa plan and do it. But should that be done while in yeshiva or should you simply delay till it's absolutely necessary? I just also uh, want to play a snippet from Dr. Jordan Peterson. He is a world-renowned psychologist, professor of psychology. He talks about also why would somebody not want to have a plan? So here we go. A quick quote from Dr. Jordan Peterson. 
So I started saying, well, you're going to try to make yourself more industrious. Okay, number one, specify your goals, because how are you going to hit something if you don't know what it is? That isn't going to happen. And often people won't specify their goals too, because they don't like to specify conditions for failure. So if you keep yourself all vague and foggy, which is real easy, because that's just a matter of not doing as well, then you don't know when you fail. And people might say, well, I really don't want to know when I fail, because that's painful. So I'll, I'll keep myself blind about when I fail. That's fine, except you'll fail all the time then. You just won't know it until you've failed so badly that you're done. And that can easily happen by the time you're 40. So, so I would recommend that you don't let that happen. So that's willful blindness, right? You could have known, but you chose not to. Okay, so once you get your goal structure set up, you think, okay, if I could have this life, it looks like that might be worth living, despite the fact that it's going to be, you know, anxiety-provoking and threatening, and there's going to be some suffering and loss involved in all of that, obviously. The goal is to, to have a vision for your life such that, all things considered, that justifies your effort. Okay, so then what do you do? Well, then, then you turn down to the micro-routines. It's like, okay, well, this is what I'm aiming for. How does that instantiate itself day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month? And that's where something like a schedule can be unbelievably useful. Okay, thank you, Dr. Peterson. Let's look at a number of Makoras now that we can read as uh, advising that having a plan in life, and a number of those will apply to Parnassa as well. We'll look at a number of sources in the Tanakh. We'll start with a source in Bereshis as to the need to be planning. Now, it happens to be that the first is about Yosef. Yosef advises Paro that you have to search for a person who is an Ish Navon Vechacham, somebody who is very wise, who can see what is going to happen and uh, plan for the future somebody who's going to be able to save during the seven years of plenty in preparation for the seven years of famine. And the Ramban makes a comment here that you really need to be forward-looking, anticipate needs. And the Sephorner says we need somebody. What's an ish navam bechachon iuni? Somebody who can be analytical, amasi, and practical when it comes to uh, governing. And we could say as well, even though that applies to somebody who's going to manage a country, of course you need a forecast, of course you need a budget, but the same thing would apply, we could say, when managing somebody's home, that you are managing your real home on a smaller basis, obviously, than managing a country, but you also need a forecast, you need to look at your needs, you need an annual budget or a monthly budget, something, in order to plan out, similar to being an ish, navon v'chacham. In fact, there are a couple sources in Mishle that say, as follows, we're going to look at the first one, it's in Perachaf, Mechoref Atzel Lo Yacharosh V'Sha'al Bakatsir V'Ayin, what is that? Because of the winter cold, a lazy person will not plow. He will desire a crop at harvest time, but it will not be there. Rashi comments as follows. Somebody who is lazy, it's too cold out, I don't want to work. He's not going to do as a malach, and also he's not involved in Torah. Somebody who's lazy is not involved either in the materialism or the ruchnius and learning. The Radak says something fascinating. He says this is a mashal, and he actually says it's a mashal for this or that. We'll bring both of his alternatives. The first thing he says, this is a mashal for somebody who's too lazy to learn. He's not learning when he is young, and accordingly, when he gets older and he doesn't have the mental abilities, he doesn't have the memory any anymore, he's not going to be able to learn. That is what the Pasuk is talking about. Somebody, when it is the winter, it's cold, he'll be lazy, he's not going to plow, he's not going to work on his learning, he's not going to have any knowledge, any crop 
at harvest time. It will not be there. Or alternatively, says the Radak, it's also a mashal or alternatively a mashal for somebody who is lazy when he's young and he doesn't involve himself in working in an occupation. He doesn't work hard at bringing in the money or bringing in the income. And when he gets older and he's not going to be able to work hard because he is weakened, he is weaker and doesn't have the same stability, doesn't have the same stamina that he had, then he's not going to have a Barnasa, and he's also not going to have Menucha, he's not going to have tranquility. Because he wasn't involved in earning his Parnasa when he was younger. Similarly, in Mishle Paragvav, the Pasuk in talking about a little ant, the little ants, how hard they work. In the English, he prepares her food in the summer and stores up her food in the harvest time. The Radak says that an ant knows what it needs on a daily basis to eat and doesn't eat more, doesn't waste more than it needs because that ant is planning for the future. So there we have it, a number of the Makaras that talk about planning, a number of them financial as well, planning for the future, not spending too much now, but planning for your needs, working and planning for your needs, what you will indeed be required or what would be necessary to live on. Just Lahavdil, a little bit of a quote from Ben Franklin, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Again, Ben Franklin, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So before we go to our guest, we'll quickly go through the riddle or riddles of the week. Riddle number one. Riddle number one is going to be as follows. Scorses in the Gemara. We've gone through sources in Tanakh and there are others as well. Any sources that people can come up with pro-planning or against planning for a Parnassah in the Gemara Chazal, Midrashim and the like, wherever it may be in Chazal, but we're talking about Chazal, not more recent. Uh, any sources pro-planning for a Parnassah or not planning for a Parnassah? That is going to be riddle number one. Riddle number two, the uh, minag on the Shabbos after Pesach of some is to have the shlissel challah, that is the challah in the form of a key or an imprint of a key or an actual key inserted on the inside various ways to fulfill this minag. And the question is, when is the first recorded source by us? It could be a very well a Hasidic source, but the first source that records this minhag of having the shlissel challah. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi David Kaplan. Rabbi Kaplan is a mashkiach of Yeshiva Space Israel. He is a senior lecturer at Or Sameach, a popular lecturer worldwide, and he has published a number of svarim, including on Shalom Bayis and parenting. Rabbi Kaplan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's fun to be on the 
headlines. And I've got me, you know, I remember in the past, every time we've done this, people said they've heard it. And they've, uh, they've, uh, I don't know if they've enjoyed it, but they said they've gotten so something out of it. So, so, so anyone who sees Rabbi Kaplan on the street, please mention that you've heard his interview on headlines so we can get him to keep on coming on. So, so Rabbi Kaplan, you spend every hour, every day, every week with young men in multiple yeshivas. And the fundamental question is, should you men in yeshiva, young men in yeshiva, should they think about a parnasa? Should they have a plan? And if so, at what age should they start thinking about a plan? And when should they implement that plan? How are they going to make a living? Uh, it's such an important question, and it's such an important concept. But when, when young men in yeshiva, both from sometimes they get, you know, they get into learning, we're talking about uh, you should have like Basie Strell. Some of the boys are very focused. Some of the boys want to get focused. And many of them decide that they would like to stay in learning for, for long term. And when they bring that up, they can bring it up while they're bucking. They can bring it up when they're uh, starting to think about Shaduchet. What I always tell them is they don't have to know what they're going to be doing, but they have to know what they might be doing. Because when they get married, especially when they get married, they 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 have to uh, take on the responsibility of supporting the family. That's the first ingredient for somebody who wants to get married. You know, if a butter comes to me and he says to me, "I want to stay in love," yes, and that's great. Uh, what do you plan on doing to support yourself? Though, so if he tells me that he is a young lady whose father is interested in supporting him or his parents are supporting him, it's no different than many other guys who are incredible. But even those guys should have some sort of possibility. They only have to know what they're going to be doing because most people don't know. A lot of people go to college and they just major in the general general subjects and they'll see afterwards down the line. And most people that are eight and are eight uh, probably have switched careers in life at some point. There are plenty of people who have majored, who, uh, you know, majored in the political science. I don't know a lot of political scientists out there. You know, so so it's uh, it, it's something that a person has to have they at least thought about number one number two i tell the guys that something to get parents who are not as on board with this idea of sitting in kylo learning a kylo and that sort of thing and i thought well, most of when you speak to your parents you have to emphasize to your parents most important thing i will not be doing anything irresponsible i will be responsible about this and uh, uh a guy who is learning i tell them when you're in kylo you should have that to defend their different opinions or i tell what i tell them is you have to know where do you, you have at least a year's parnasa coming from. Once you are within that year and you don't know where, whether you're going to run dry within a year, at that point you have to start making plans for what you will be doing when this year is up. Yeah, do you, you're plan. saying that you need to have savings of a year of your expenses going forward for a cushion, and uh, and then at that point, because you know you'll be able to decide and implement a parnasa within that year? Whether it's savings or whether it's uh, knowing that based on how much your wife is earning, uh, I don't care how you do it. As Winston Churchill said uh, uh, when it came to sinking the Bismarck, remember that? The, I didn't care how you do it, but you must sink the Bismarck. You know, so I don't, I don't care how you do it, but but you have to have at least a responsible plan. And a guy comes to me, I want to learn. Uh, what are you going to do? Is your parents say, well, I have betachot. You know, I tell them, listen, you, you may have betachot from Angus Morgan, but uh, no potential father-in-law is going to be interested in hearing that. No potential shopkin is going to be interested. The first thing a shopkin wants to know, even for a guy who's encoded, a guy who's learning is, hey, what do you plan on doing to support your family if it comes to that? You're able to learn full time and you're able to stay and learn. Great. If you win the lottery tomorrow, which it happens to all of us soon, say I'm eight, 
uh, if you win the lottery tomorrow and, and, and you wake up the money, that's great. But you have to have a responsible plan and options. I even told the guys to draw up a paper. I give a special vote on this subject to draw up a paper with a flow chart of what the possibilities are each year as they progress. For example, he's in his third year of yeshiva. The next year he may either continue learning, he may start going for a degree, he may go into his father's business, or he may go into Shadotha. But then with each one of those is the way flow chart works is there's a you know possibilities that 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 branch off of each uh, each option. Uh-huh. So this plan, this it's a Parnassa plan, that would apply whether the person wants to go into teaching Rabbanis an occupation or I want to learn. Having a plan that you may need to implement is the key. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Something, the guy says, I definitely want to go into Kodesh. I say, okay, do you want to go into education? Do you want to go into Rabbanis? Uh, do you want to teach, uh, do you want to work more with uh, adults, with children, cheder level? What are your, what are, and if so, where do you plan on doing this? Do you plan on being in Israel, in America? Do you plan on going through Toro Masora? Do you plan on applying for jobs in a, in a what do you call, community call that does outreach? That sort of thing. But give me some, I want to hear that you've thought about it. More important to me than what will be is the fact that the young man realizes that he should have been thinking about it. That's a different indication that he that he understands where he's going in life. And how, how much detail do you need to think through? Does it have to be that I know what courses I'm taking or what major I'm going to learn or maybe what, what occupation I'm going into, even if it doesn't require some sort of degree, where I'm going to take it? No, not, not, it doesn't have to be that detailed because nobody knows. Uh, you know, sometimes every once in a while, like I was in high school, there were certain guys from the minute they went into high school, uh, they knew what they were going to be doing. There were certain guys knew that they were going to be doctors. I remember one guy telling me when my first my first year in, in, in Yeshiva High School when I was a freshman, I was about 14 years old, and I asked the guy what he plans on doing, he said that he wants to be an actuary. And I had no idea what an actuary is. I actually thought he was mispronouncing the word actually. So I, I didn't know what an actuary is. And there were certain guys who knew and certain guys who had no plan whatsoever, myself included. No plan. My plan was my plan was living day to day playing baseball or basketball. That was my plan. Uh and, and the plans didn't change till a lot later in life as a beginner of that. But the uh the uh the uh, uh a guy has to have at least options. The key word here is options. And you have to have thought about your options. Okay, very good. So what would you say the messages that Talmidim receive out of Yeshiva base Israel? You're one of the Mashkichim of base Israel, but what would you say that the general messages uh, from Yeshivas in general, it doesn't have to be base Israel or other Mashkichim, is this concept of having a plan, thinking about a parnasa, financial responsibility, is this something that's talked about or is it more commonly just stay in learning and everything will work out? Look, I can't speak for other people. I can't speak for other yeshivas. Anybody who I would consider a responsible mashpiyat is somebody who, and anybody who is responsible would say, or should say, you know, you are going, you you have to at least think about it. We're not looking to push people out of learning. We want people to learn as long as possible. And we certainly encourage, you know, so that we get parents all the time, but what are they going to do? I don't know anybody who is starved to death. Honestly, I don't know. There are a lot of people learning turtle. I have not. I've heard other problems that people have. 
uh, uh, I haven't heard of anybody who's going to say who has starved to death, even being in girls. So that, let's put that aside. That's an exaggerated. Parents sometimes try to impose their values on their kids. So parents will say, yeah, but you, you know, even a kids, I've had parents object that their kids want to go into college. You know, I, and I just wonder sometimes those parents all, you know, what you mean? Nobody should be teachers in Kaiser. Nobody should be a Rebbe. And I say, well, you know, parents say, well, listen, you know, it's a, it's a hard, and it's hard to make a living. It's hard to make a living. The trade-off is that the guy who's the guy who's a businessman or what you call it, look what his look life looks like with his living. You're you're a, a 21 year old or 22 year old has a right to make a decision. I want this fulfillment of life, and I'm willing to exchange. I understand what it's going to be. I understand, and I'm not going to be irresponsible because there are plenty of people who went into Kodesh, and when their families grew or whatever the circumstances were. I have a uh, family, I have a relative who was the teacher of the year. He was in Kylo, then he went into teaching, he was teaching at day school, he even got the award as teacher of the year. And within a couple of years, he had to leave Kodesh because the salary wasn't enough. He was tutoring on the side to make it go, and he couldn't. He just family with growing. So he left and he opened up, he went into business, and did the, he did the responsible thing. But, uh, you know, a person has a right to choose that they want to uh they want to live their life a certain way. So you can't say somebody wants to become a Rebbe talk, so they'll be having irresponsibly. That's ridiculous. I mean, honestly. So if a Talmud comes to you and says, I want to go into Kodesh, I want to become a Rebbe, I want to become a teacher, or I want to learn, but my parents don't want. So what do you advise him to say to the parents? What's the conversation that he should have to get them on board? Excellent, excellent, and then a very important question. What I usually tell, first I want to find out what the relationship is with the parents. If it, there is a, uh, a, a a possibility of discussion or if it is a, uh, 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 you know, one-sided, this is my, my way or the highway type of thing. What I tell the boys is that in many cases, they've never spoken to the parents. And I tell them, if your parents are open to discussion and I'll discuss it, first of all, you have to be respectful. You can't get upset. You can't yell. You can't get that started with your parents. You have to... Abide by all rules to keep it out of ape. But what I tell the boys is you have to ask your parents, look, we've never decided, we've never discussed how we make decisions because I've never been 21 before. I've never been 20. We've never decided how we make decisions. Do I have any say in this? And sometimes many parents have had parents that we don't care what you do as long as you get a degree. Afterwards, you could go back to learning if you want, but you have to go to college. We all know that once they go to college, they're not going to go back to learning. That we don't. Now, the question is the parents saying, well, I don't care what you do, you have to get a degree. So I tell the boy, if your parents are rational and open to discussion, I would say if I was 21, I'd say to my parents, do I have any say in this decision? Most parents in the world are not going to turn around and say, no, you have no say. And very often, it's the first time that they've even been uh, confronted with, with themselves thinking about how do we make decisions. So if a parent says, well, you, you have say, but you have to get a degree. And I said, okay, tell me what the, why, why do I have to hear? Because we know what's better for you. We know what's better. I said, okay, tell me what I should major in. Since you know what's better for you, why are you leaving that decision to me? I mean, let's say, you know, if you know what's better for me, tell me who to marry. Why are you leaving that decision to me? So, so it, it, it's got to be a rational discussion with rational people. Uh, parents, we've had parents who do hear it. We've had parents, I've had a father who what said to me, I said, the father, does your son have any say in the matter? He said, no. <laughs> No, I have nothing to talk about that. Nothing to talk about. Nothing to talk about. Now, parents hold the purse strings. That's the only leverage parents have nowadays over their kids is purse strings. You can't beat your kids. You can't punish your kids. 
what could you possibly do? But you do if you hold the first string. And I will tell about her, we, the first and most important thing is we don't want family conflict. And there are two types of buffering. And I call the buffering, you have to think about this very carefully. There are those who can go and tell their parents, I respect all of your input, and I will do this on my own, even if there's no parental support. There are others who are not capable, which is most, they're not, not capable of doing it. I tell them, if you're not capable, don't do it. Then you're going to have to bet. But you do have to try to discuss it with your parents. So I have a boy right now who is learning incredible. He learned like a machine. Uh, he wouldn't even go home during Corona when Basie Israel cleared out all the Yeshiva Israel. Many of them cleared out. If there was one man, what was from uh, from uh, uh, poor and from poor until uh, 2018. From poor until the end of the summer, where we didn't have Bachram in the Yeshiva, where we're, there were two Bachram, one who lived in Israel, one boy who told his parents, I don't want to come home because what am I going to do? Sit in the house. So I'll sit in the basement. We had only the 12 people as the base medrash for about four months over there, three, four months. He stayed here. He learned like a machine while he was in base, and his father wanted him to be a lawyer. And we kept going on, and his father got born. He got, he got tremendous nafas from him, and now he's, he's in full-time learning. And he has a plan that if he has to, he will get a degree. But he's not. I don't think he will in the end. I think he's going to be a rough. And uh, that's the direction. And the father. I wonder if I wonder if his father listens. If that's going to be news to the father that he's really not going to become an attorney. Uh, his father has already got it. His father's got it. He, he figured it. He worked it out already. <laughs> and his father is so proud. You know, I'll tell. I want to tell you something. I was once at an Arafim, uh, an Arafim in Israel. They tried to run an Arafim English speaking program. So this is many years ago, probably going back to at least at least twenty years. Uh, and um, they had a Shabbaton, and the Shabbat, the theme of the Shabbaton was Torah learning and Kolel. So I, uh, I I I was giving a talk, and at the end of my talk, I opened it up for questions on the subject of Kolel learning. So there was one man in the back who was wearing a kippah. I kind of looked like a crusty, crusty older guy uh, with a with a with a frown on his face. And I saw him raising his hand, and I just kind of ignored him because I, 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 I was not uh, thrilled. I, I didn't anticipate it, so I had a good coming of it. And there were questions here, questions there. And then this guy finally he yelled, hey, I've had my hand up for a while. I want to ask a question. So I had a choice. I said, please, go ahead. He goes, listen, I got three sons. My first, my oldest son is a dentist. My second son is an accountant, and my third son is learning at Colo. And I figured, okay, here it comes. He says, and I want to tell you something. I have more not asked from my cold son and his family from the old Munchoko. So I just kind of stepped aside and said, sir, would you like to come up, please take the, take the microphone? <laughs> I'll give it over to you. Right? Beautiful. Yeah. So the bother, at the end of the day, they have not. But there are plenty of battles that are fought and plenty of parents are unreasonable. But the kids themselves, they have to be reasonable, make sure they're presenting a responsible plan. Right, very good. So let's turn it around a little bit and talk about women, young ladies, and they come to seminary. Do they need to have a Parnassa plan also, or can it simply be, I want to get married or something like that? Because that's oftentimes what uh, the, the young ladies look forward to, and that's understandable. But do they have to also have this plan? It could be that marriage won't happen, or supporting a husband, or even not a supporting a husband, but assisting in the support that's very common nowadays. So would this concept of having a plan apply to young ladies as well? Look, let's be realistic. The young lady who expects her husband to be learning, 
uh, unless their father is uh, extremely well off or very well off or well off, to be glad to take on support a young lady who wants her husband. I'm not as familiar with the American scene, with Lakewood and the American scene. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not as familiar, but certainly with, you know, a young lady who wants her husband to sit there, which most of the seminary girls do, uh, which is one of the reasons there's a enough crisis, but by the way, probably the signal most, uh, the blatant reason is because to be what's considered a top-notch young lady is not as difficult as to be a top-notch young man, a guy who wants to be, you know, for a seminary, like let's say uh, uh, one of the top seminaries in Israel, if there are 100 girls in a set coming out of the seminary, so out of 100 girls, probably at least 80 of them are considered top-notch, top, top catches in the shit out of 100 guys. Coming out of the yeshiva, probably 15 of them are. Uh, because if you're the father-in-law, there you're out one of those 15 guys. You know what? The guy who learns what Mrs. Minion, or the guy who, who dabbins well, but he's not a great learner. You want the whole package. How many guys in the yeshiva are the whole entire package? But for a girl, as long as she's, you know, she's she's pleasant, she's sweet, she smiles a lot, she's sinist, you know, she's uh, she's basically uh, considered a top catch. So, so you, you, a girl who wants a guy who's going to be sitting and learning, she's got to have some sort of plate for burnout. And I, frankly, I've been shocked because I, if I teach a seminary here in Israel, I ask the girls, how many of you are going into teaching? And out of a class of about 80 girls, I think two of them raise their hands. Uh, teaching is no longer an option because you can't make a Parnassa to support out of it in learning. Uh, in, uh, in America, and I know there is a crisis in America and the girls' schools are teaching. But somebody just told me recently that a girl comes back from seminary to get a job that she's getting paid more than a teacher who's been there for 15 years uh, because they're desperate for teachers. And that's what they've been doing, apparently, is they take the seminary girls and they teach until they get married. <laughs> so it all comes down, that, that problem it comes down to money. That, it, it's like Slomo Mel have already beat us to it, or was or been. You know, I guess if you had as I called, it all comes down to Right, right. Right. So w one last question, Rabbi Kaplan, because you have a lot of experience as well in marriage and Shalom Bayis and also in Chinuch. Does this concept of a plan, a realistic plan, also apply when somebody's getting married in order to work on Shalom Bayis and when people have children? Do, is a plan advisable, necessary, required in order to be mechanech children correctly? There are two aspects to this guy, two, two separate questions here. Question number one is the money aspect important for Shalom Bayis, because I'll already tell us that when the money's out of the house, that's when the trouble starts, when there's a shortage of money, that's when the trouble, but probably most Shalom Bayis, the highest le uh, amount of Shalom Bayis problems, uh, at least used to be because of money. Nowadays, probably because of technology, but uh, it used to be because of money. That's clear. You know, they keep an ear of faith off. I just mentioned the friend of mine. Men are under a tremendous strain. In Israel, the calculation is that a week of Pesach costs you a month's salary. And that's for a month's salary for people whose month's salary is not usually enough for the month. Now they got to spend it on the week. Or there's a lot of help in Arab Pesach, a lot of funds, but it's expensive. You know, and the wife asks her husband, she says, well, the kids need addresses now. You know, the, the husband just tremendous pressure. Where am I supposed to get the money? That's where the show buys trouble there. So, uh, so the money, definitely a husband has to have a responsible plan of period. A couple has to realize that they have to save. You have to figure out a way to save. It's a difficult thing, and nobody likes to think about the future, about getting older. But, but at a certain point, you have to try as much as possible to save. The area, the aspect of chinuch of the kids is a completely different, you know, being the kind of kids about money. There are enough other battles to fight 
right now before you have to start teaching a kid about money. Uh, kids that, you know, your eight-year-old is the guy who's going to, who's, who's spending, is not his, the main issue with an eight-year-old. Mishnayas is, you know, and being nice to his parents. Spending is not the main issue over here. And sometimes the parents make a mistake where they'll promote, they'll, they'll, they'll try to motivate a kid. For example, they say, if you memorize a parakum Mishnayas, I'll give you 10 shekel. They give the kid that juggle, he wants to spend it, and then the parents are worried, well, you shouldn't spend it, you should save it. Well, it's like, that's not the, that's not the issue right now. You want your, we get your kid to learn, which I thought, man, I can't, 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 uh, can't uh, cover all bases all at once. I'll let the kid live a little bit, he'll get there, don't worry. He's got time until he has to worry about the money. That's not a top priority, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to the phenops nowadays. There are bigger, not bigger issues. May, if, if we leave aside the, the, the financial issues, but talking about somebody having a plan, how he's going to have Shalom Bayis. I have to act this way and that way, and what's the proper way to go through life, and how much to discipline, how little to discipline, how to speak with kids, how not to speak with kids. Are those things that people should be thinking about as well in instituting plans and speaking with spouses as Absolutely. well? Yeah, what's the Shaila? That's the Shaila. That person, the person, see the problem, there, there, there is, I, I laugh because sometimes you know, I read in some of the Jewish magazines, you know, people write in letters, why don't the yeshivas teach the boys this? And why don't the yeshivas tell the boys this? And why don't the yeshivas get the boys to do this? And why, you know, it's like the yeshivas are going to magically just get, get, get to take a boy, and within a year, we're going to just make a, you know, a new Yitzhak Avinu out of him. You know, you know they, 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 the boys, boys if, you, if they talk to you once every three weeks and say, hello, you're doing well. You know, you know boys, I had a mother call me up, and she was shocked that there's something in the yeshiva. And, and she, she also had a daughter in seminary and the seminaries, the daughters, they have an name fight, they have a metri fight. They, they sit on a bed together, staring in each other's eyes and they have deep, meaningful conversations till three in the morning. And the other didn't understand that doesn't happen in your ship. It's, you know, if a guy comes over to me once in a while, because, you know, he's under arrest or something, you know, and he needs some help, you know, that's a, that's already a connection, you know, and, that's what he had, and it's, it's not like they're just pouring out their hearts and sharing. Isn't that the big word nowadays? Let's share. Boys aren't sharing anything. So, so the, 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 yet, yet, you know, there's a limit to what we get, but a boy who's getting married, certainly there's high drop. He's interested. I mean, can't force people to do anything. You know, boy comes over, whatever people ask me, boys all the time ask me, which I'd be thinking about, I get married, couples. A man comes over and asks me. And by the way, the finances, the Gemara says that a man has to spend less on himself than he could afford and more on his wife and children. Because the Gemara says, And you're dependent on the Rebana Shalom. You have to spend more on your wife than you can afford. I'd be like that, man. <laughs> Sorry. Right? That's the fact. Those are the facts. You have to spend more on your wife than you can afford. We are children. They're dependent on that. And a person definitely has to have to show my class. Very impressive. The guy comes over and he says to me, listen, how do I run a base off Seder to get the maximum for my kids out of it? How do I, uh, how do, I do this? I, you know, what do I do? My son isn't it. My son, my son is, is, isn't interested right now. I'm going to show and He's 11 years old. Should I force him or not? That's great. People should ask those questions. Absolutely. I don't know if they should ask me. But they should certainly ask somebody qualified to help. Rabbi Kaplan, that's a very powerful Gemara. I guess it's not only finances that we should skimp a little bit on ourselves, but focus on on the wife and the family. But uh, finances and non finances as well. It's a very powerful message. Remember, the Gemara says that the bracha rests in the home because of a person's wife. And the bracha, they're not talking about bracha that 
They're not talking about that the walls are clean. They're talking about that he's got money. That's what Bruffa is. So sometimes a man gets upset because his wife is asking for money. Hey, buddy, if not for her, you wouldn't have any money anyway. Right? So well just give her her money and just do it with a smile. Right. Right. Very good. Well, Rabbi Kaplan, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We always enjoy hearing from you. Okay, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Joining us now is Mrs. Elisheva Liss. Mrs. Liss is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She works with individuals and couples to help improve the quality of their lives and their relationships. She has written extensively on planning, taking funds from in-laws, choosing a career, and also the Shalom bias implications of not having a Parnassah and other plans in life. Mrs. Liss, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, always a pleasure. So, Mrs. Liss, I, I was once speaking with a therapist, and uh, the therapist mentioned this concept. I don't know if it's a, a concept or, a, or or maybe a disease, and you can tell us of failure to launch, the failure to launch syndrome. So I th- thought we would start out with this because it, it sounds a little bit maybe like the failure to have a plan and not having direction in life. So want to get your input on what does that mean, and maybe we can take it from there, seeing how does that apply to the lives uh, that we're living Sure. So failure to launch is not, as far as I know, it's not really a diagnosis. It's more of a descriptive. Um, The idea of launching is this idea that as children get older, kids and teens and eventually college students, young adults are on this trajectory from being extremely dependent on parents to differentiating themselves and individuating themselves, becoming less and less dependent on the adults in their lives and more capable of taking care of themselves. So when they're little, it's, you know, learning to dress and dress themselves, tie their shoes, go places on their own. And as they get older, being able to take responsibility for more and more so that the idea of launching is at some point we have a full-fledged adult who can, you know, kind of go out into the world and just, you know, have a loving adult relationship with the people who used to take care of him or her. And a failure to launch means this isn't really happening in the time frame that we were hoping or that the culture expects it to happen. When I was in graduate school, I had a professor who introduced a phrase that I hadn't heard before. I'd heard a couple of times since then, but I think it's a very nice way to put it. She called it the quarter-life crisis, right? So people talk about the midlife crisis when a person hits midlife and they start having all these like kind of existential thoughts and feelings. And sometimes they do like very different impulsive things um, because they're hit with sort of the gravity of like, well, life is going by and you don't want to change things up or whatever. Um, The quarter-life crisis happens, let's say, in the early to mid-20s approximately. And it's an interesting phenomenon where you have young people who often for the first time in their lives have to make these really big monumental feeling decisions Um, Whereas until that point, they've been in sort of a container environment where every year was kind of mapped out from the year before. Most of their decisions were happening within a very mild, a very narrow framework of optionality. And now there's like these big things that have to get decided, um, you know, where to study post high school, what to do um, in terms of friendships. They don't just have built in friendships with the people that they've always seen every day their whole lives. Um, what to do professionally, how to define themselves ideologically, religiously, um, and a lot of the a lot of them are making even longer term decisions whom to marry if they're going to get married at that point, where they want to live, uh, what community they want to affiliate with. A lot of really really big decisions for people who don't have a lot of life experience. So this quarter life crisis can hit people in different ways, and I think sometimes when it goes awry, that's where we see this sort of failure to launch, where people are kind of buffering or glitching and not really moving forward with with these choices. So in a nutshell, it's the process of going from being a younger person to being a more mature person, and it's the process of becoming independent. I guess that would be a good way to to, to encapsulate, yeah. 
Okay, so 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 if we say the defining features of an individual is going through this process, and I guess we're focused then on the age, early twenties, mid twenties, maybe it starts in the teens, could be some, for some kids, yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if we talk about the defining factors in in the secular world, and we compare that to the defining features or factors in the firm world, are those similar? Are those different? And uh, I guess I want to ask a, a further question, just not not to complicate things too much. Was ha- has this changed over time? Are we seeing something different nowadays than we did twenty? 30 years ago, I remember uh, 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you never had a concept of somebody staying in the secular world, somebody staying in university for for more than four years. And nowadays, I understand that it's common. I'm a fifth year senior, a sixth year senior, um, which was such a strange concept to me. So it seems maybe the secular world, world has changed and have we changed accordingly as well? Um, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding the question. Are you asking the the defining features of launching or of failure to launch, or it doesn't really matter? Just kind of describing both syndromes. Uh, but, but, uh, failure to launch, and you know the the failure to launch. What? How do we define it? What are the consequences, ramifications? This person is not getting out of bed. He's not going to work. He's not focused. Yeah. Or is he an unproductive individual? Or maybe he's being productive but in the wrong direction. And if we talk about that in the secular realm, and then compare it to what we may be seeing in the uh, in in the observant realm, if somebody's sticking around and uh, not being productive, even if he's in yeshiva, but it doesn't have his heart in the game and just uh, should be looking elsewhere, but is not going towards that uh, independence. So uh, maybe there's similar factors, or maybe there are different issues going on there. Yeah, sure. So I think that if we're looking at there's the sort of the content and the process, the process is, you know, regardless of what the culture is, there are certain cultural expectations, communal expectations for what's appropriate for an eight year old, what's appropriate for a 12 year old, an 18 year old, a 25 year old, a 30 year old. And it's going to it's going to vary a little bit depending on you know the community and the culture. But there are these sort of uh, bell curves and averages of what we're looking for. And not that everybody has to be average, but we don't want to be such a far outlier that we're creating a level of dysfunction and distress. So you might be an outlier. So for example, a, a positive outlier would be, let's say there's a guy who's like a, an Eloy, he's a Talmud Chassam, everybody agrees, this guy's got to keep learning, he's going to be like a you know serious genius, Talmud Chassam, Gadzal Hazar, and everybody's investing in his learning. So for him, if he's going to be a learning for a very, very long time, and he's thriving, and he's doing well, and people are very supportive of it, so even though he hasn't really made a change for a very long time, um, it, it, it's it's the plan, that's, that's his plan. So that wouldn't be a failure to launch. Likewise, a parallel would be Lahatzalini, an academic. Right. So you have someone who's a, uh, you know, a brilliant, I don't know, student of literature or philosophy or something, and uh, he or she would like to become, uh, you know, a, a professional academic and publish papers and research and, and a lecturer. So if that person is becoming, you know, the ongoing student, you know, never really graduating, just collecting PhDs, if that person has been sort of supported and endorsed by other academics and said, this is a brain that we want to cultivate within the uh, academia within intelligentsia, so then that is that person's plan. And so even though while that's not necessarily recommended for everybody, you know, we we need people at that echelon of, of you know, education. But for the, for the rest of us, for the hamonam, <laughs> right, um, we need to get to a place, most of us, where, you know, we get to adulthood. We're probably not going to be living in our parents' homes forever. That's not healthy for most people, right? There are clan communities where that is normative and then it's not a failure to launch. Right. But in, in, in most Western and, and from communities, there's an expectation that there will be some sort of launching. Some kids sort of begin the launching process. You have 
kids who are going to leave home at 14 because they're going to go to uh, you know a high school or a yeshiva that they're that's away from home and in, in that sense they're individuating from a very young age a lot of people start that process at 18 they're going to go to yeshiva to seminary to university um, and they're going to move out in that in that way um, sometimes you have people who come home after uh, yeshiva seminary university and sometimes that's the beginning of their adult life and they go and do their own thing so there's the the physical launching from the parents home into like the world and just because somebody left home doesn't necessarily mean he or she is thriving but you know that's step one and likewise just because somebody lives at home doesn't necessarily mean that there's been a failure to launch it could be there's been an intentional mindful choice of i want to live in my parents home until i am ready to get married because again that's my cultural norm or that's my you know hashgraphic preference but i'm doing you know constructive uh useful adult things that are preparing me for that point of launching out of their home. So it, it there aren't such specific universal markers that would make it like, oh, that means that you are, you know, uh, you know, uh, failing to launch. It's really sort of a conglomerate, like a combination of issues that will come together. Um, is it working? Is there dysfunction? Is there distress? Is somebody feeling resentful or held back by the setup? Um, or is this a plan that includes a certain amount of, you know, family support, collaboration and and planning that's like, okay, it makes sense for you to stay here, save money on rent while you build up this career, while you get this education, um, while you learn Torah, and then at some point we'll figure out a way for you to then make a Parnassa. Okay, so let me make sure I'm understanding. It seems yeah. that it's not a matter of you're learning, you're not learning, you're in a university, you're not a university. The point is, do you have direction? Yeah, yeah. It should be... The definition of a plan means direction, and it could be not even just direction is is necessary, but maybe more. It needs to be functional, useful direction. So, in in other words, if, if somebody is just, um, if if you're learning but you're not accomplishing, you're not focused, you don't have a direction in in your learning, that may not be the most advisable. But somebody who is accomplishing, doing great, has direction, has focus, and wants to make something of himself, that would be a plan. Uh, and similarly, if somebody is simply in a university, it could be a Jewish university, not Jewish, we're not going to get into, we've had a show on on the problems of going to secular universities, so we'll just stick with the concept. If somebody is getting a degree, and I think I'm hearing this from you, and I, I want to confirm, a, a degree that may not be so useful. So if somebody wants to just study sociology or political science or Latin or Greek, maybe those are better examples, and doesn't really have a plan of going into academia, but it just interests the person that that could be a plan, but there's no direction and no functionality and, and utility in that. Maybe that's uh, that's not so so uh, useful. Is that is that correct? So I would I would hesitate to call that failure to launch just because again it's very cultural. So if you have a family that values academics for academics sake. I remember when I was in, in college, I had really enjoyed French in high school and I was thinking about majoring in French in college. And uh, someone said to me, so should I get you a t-shirt that says you want fries with that? <laughs> you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with serving food for a living, um, but like, you know, what are you doing with a degree in French, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, but there are there are cultures and, and communities where there, you know, you can get a liberal arts degree and that's not called a failure to launch. It just means that then, you know, you need to think beyond that. Are you going to become an academic or are you prepared for the knowledge that you're going to be paying back a student loan that wasn't really an investment in a practical career? If that person is thriving, you know, socially, personally, in other ways, and they're just kind of doing college as a luxury rather than an investment in a career, I, I don't, I would, I don't, I wouldn't be comfortable calling that failure to launch. So that that's why I'm saying it's sort of like a combination of issues. 
Um, and likewise, if you have a guy who's in yeshiva and he's kind of burning out of the full-time learning thing, he's not quite sure what he wants to do next. I w- no, if, if he's in a world where that is normative for his age, but he's thinking, okay, I, I realize that my years in yeshiva, my days in yeshiva really need to be numbered. And he's just in kind of like that bridge space of trying to figure out what to do. I wouldn't call that a failure to launch. Um, you know, I, I would call failure to launch when there's like more of a chronic or a dysfunctional quality to what's going on. Either it's it there's sort of no end in sight. This person is starting to feel anxious or depressed or the family is getting edgy. Like this is really just not like creating uh, tension in, you know, with with the people with whom he or she is living. Um, sometimes sometimes there are some underlying mental health considerations. There might be a social phobia component, like nervous to go outside of the comfort zone of where they are socially. Uh, sometimes there's agoraphobia that's a little more serious when someone's afraid to leave the house that would be like a that that that's more of the classic you know people living in their parents basement not really venturing out much sometimes you have addiction or um, a fear of making commitments a commitment phobia decision making perfectionism um th- those are more of like the classics more serious what, what you're describing i think is sort of a delayed adulthood which is more of a cultural phenomenon and sometimes that can morph into a failure to launch. But I think sometimes it's like what you were starting to say before, when we were young adults, there wasn't so much of this, and it really was some of it, but there wasn't it, there wasn't as much of this kind of like hanging around in college, collecting different electives and extra credits and extra degrees just because like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll do that. Although I have to say that always looked tempting. <laughs> you know, like... So, so major- we're talking about, and it is, it's not a failure to launch, it's a failure to plan. So I think both exist. Both exist. You know, if you have a 28, 29 year old person who's living in a parent's basement struggling with, you know, an addiction or a psychiatric disorder, or personality disorder where they're blaming everybody for all the things that didn't go right in their life, that that's a real failure to launch situation. Um, sometimes what you have is the failure to plan situation where you have someone who got, you know, let's say they got a, uh, a scholarship or a partial scholarship to a prestigious program and they studied something, you know, that's very uh, prestigious or interesting, but not particularly practical. And then that person comes out, you know, four or five, six years later with a with a master's and it's useless. And what exactly are you going to do with that? So, um, you know, so that would be, I guess, a failure to plan, but not necessarily a failure to launch because that person might be moving forward into mature adult relationships um, and, you know, just kind of buffering on the career decision making. But financial planning, especially in communities like ours, where we prioritize, you know, getting married, having a family, uh, you know, becoming an adult in, in you know, most cases, let's say in 20s, you know, rather than, let's say, you know, or early 30s, um, it, it demands more responsibility than, let's say, just being a single person, finding your way in the world, maybe, you know, traveling and doing other things that don't necessarily require as much stability, commitment, income, et cetera. Right. So it seems that we may be suffering, at least in certain segments or certain people with a, somewhat of a, a failure to plan then. I think so. Yes. Okay, so and, and if we define plan as not planning for parnasa, it could be not planning for working on a marriage. Um, it could be not planning for my learning. Um, it could be any of those or, or more, any of those verticals or, or others. What would you say you're seeing right now? Because I'm, I'm not as familiar with uh, outside of Israel. and And also, I'd love to hear... What are the consequences, the implications of this? And obviously the implications for not planning for Barnas is not having Barnasa. And uh, what's the implication on not planning for Shalom Bais or not planning for Parnasa on Shalom Bais? So what are the implications of, of our not being focused on these uh, 
even short-term, medium-term, or, or long-term planning. Yeah. So um, uh, the one area, we until now, we've been noting a lot of the parallels between more of the Shiv world and the, the more predominant, you know, kind of university-oriented secular culture. But there is one area where I would make kind of an opposite distinction, which is where it comes to optionality. So if you're in a community where when you graduate 12th grade, the world is your oyster, you can do anything, go anywhere, you can travel, you can apprentice, you can, you know, there's, there's, um, in a way, it's it's very empowering, very exciting. But in a way, there's almost a, like an analysis paralysis that sometimes happens of like when it's like the department store syndrome, you go in, there's too many things to buy, you walk out with nothing, you go into a small boutique, there's a few things in your size, you're more likely to make a purchase, right? So that, you know, um, unlimited optionality is sometimes ironically a little bit, um, you know, paralyzing. Like there's just kind of like, I don't know what I want to do. I want to do all the things. And then I end up not really narrowing it down. Um, so that's that's one phenomenon that we sometimes see. In the in the yeshiva world, I think sometimes we see the opposite problem. If you graduate from a 12th grade program where the expectation is if you're worth anything, you're going to be in yeshiva for at least four or five years. Um, and, and you know, very often the, the hope and the encouragement that it's gonna, is that it's going to be even a lot longer than that. Um, that's the opposite of optionality. That's the feeling of like, that's kind of what I have to do if I want to maintain normative status or a respectable status within my community. And so if I'm just doing that, so I'm just doing that. I'm not really looking ahead of that because the hope is that I'm like all in with that. And then when I get to a point where, if I get to a point where this isn't really working, I haven't really given a whole lot of thought or haven't been presented with a whole lot of you know opportunity beyond the scope of that. So we do sometimes see is young men you know in their 20s um, sometimes even 30-ish or a little bit more, who've just been kind of like, you know, in the base measures, learning a ton, either enjoying it or just kind of like going along for the ride because that's what they were expected to do. Um, and then sometimes just to segue into the second part of your question was how did that impact marriage and shalom bias? Um, sometimes that can create a lot of distress because you have a wife who's been, you know, kind of like either towing the Parnassal line for, on her own for a while or just kind of like wondering what what's going to happen, what's going to be. And she's sort of ahead of him in terms of life skills, in terms of sophistication, in terms of just knowing how to do, you know, she's got a lot more um, experience outside of a base medrash and he may know a lot of Gemara um, and, and he may be wonderful, but like he's really trailing far behind and, and that can often create a lot of tension in relationships. It can create a lot of resentment. It can create a lot of emotional distress for the young man himself because if he's been doing okay in the base medrash, but then when he steps outside, he feels like, I, I don't know what else. To, I, I, I feel like I'm behind the rest of the world and nobody understands. Like, what have you been doing for the last seven, eight, nine years? It, it's almost like a different language. It's very hard to explain. And it's it's really tough on the ego. Um, and and uh, they got to get lucky to have an entry level job that's going to on some level appreciate what they've been doing until this point. It, it could be really hard. Well, I was going to ask them, how, how do you get it fixed uh, if they come and consult with you a couple and uh, we're, we're in this uh, rut right now? So how do you turn that around? And uh, I guess we're talking on an individual level, uh, a couple coming to you. It's, it's, I guess it's a broader discussion on a communal level, but at least on yeah. an individual level, how, how do you deal with something like that? So the individual level is, is a little bit easier to address because we kind of zoom in and target. Like I like to ask young people, okay, let's figure this out. What are you good at? What do you enjoy? And how can you use that in a way that people are going to pay you to do it? You know, that's pretty much like you make a Venn diagram. Anything that fits into all three categories, that, that's going to be the sweet spot of ideally where you're going to work, right? And I'm not a big fan of like, follow your dream and your passion. By that point, you don't need to have a dream and passion. You just have to figure out something that you can do fairly well that you're not going to hate and get good at it. If it could be a dream or a passion, beautiful, amazing. But I think the dream passion thing is overrated and it leaves a lot of young people feeling like no, no job is the right job for them. And then they end up in this sort of like loop of not, not committing to anything. 
um, I think it was a Tolstoy who said like all all happy families are similar or alike, and the unhappy families are different in their own way, something like that. I don't know if that's true, but th- that's a quote. And I, I think that it's it's also true. Like most happy, productive people, you know, there's a lot of you know mishutafbein they have. Yes, a lot, a lot, a lot in common. But you know, people who are unhappy very often there's different traumas, different issues, different stuff that comes up for each of them, and we really want to kind of help them figure out their pain points. I do want to just say, in defensive communities where there isn't a lot of optionality and there is this like expectation to learn for a long time, I I do think that a lot of Rabbi and Rashi Shiva and Mashkitzim um, have have kind of made si- si- sincere, significant efforts to address this issue, you know, preventatively. I think Rabbi Bender, Rabbi Yaakov Bender, and my neighborhood is, uh, you know, trying to institute and normalize some kind of like trade uh, training for young men, even in at, at the high school and college level, recognizing that like it's really not necessarily healthy for every guy to be in full time base medrash, you know, after a certain point, and making that not feel like as much of a bit. I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say, but I, I think there's um I haven't read the the Bentor for Life book, but I've heard that a lot of people have found that to be extremely you know helpful and validating. Um, I think that there's just a lot more willingness for there was there was this overcorrection, right? Like I think the the yeshiva culture was established to sort of reignite all of the Torah that was lost in the war, and um, and it was a magnificent success. But you know maybe to the opposite extreme, where it's like instead of the fear of like no one's going to learn Torah, it's like no no one's going to make a living. <laughs> you know, like we need to kind of like have, have have a balance. And I think our our leaders are figuring out how to sort of you know come up with this like healthy um you know a, a healthy way to uh, enable to make sure that the you know the, the light of Torah is going to be continued but uh, and also that people aren't going to go hungry <laughs> I, I think we can apply the uh the fed's language of hoping for a soft landing so unfortunately <laughs> the fed the fed was not so successful in having a soft landing <laughs> but hopefully qualities will, will be more successful in having a soft okay. landing I'm I'm one more question. We, we, I think we, we, we haven't uh, really distinguished, but I think we've been focused more on the men. No, we have. We're talking about Kolel and learning. And so, like, how about the young ladies? Does a young a, a girl, a young lady need a plan also, a plan for Parnassa life, whatever it may be? And, and if so, for what? And when should she start thinking about that that plan? So as far as I know, and I, I, I haven't done a lot of research on this or, or much at all, but from what I've heard, it seems to be that cross communities, this is more of a male problem than a female problem. Like, I don't really know why I haven't thought, but it's not, you know, it's just half baked. Uh, I, I think that to the extent that men need plans, women need plans also. I think anyone who's going to lead a life of intention and purpose, it's not going to, we're not going to just kind of impulsively wake up in the morning and say, hmm, what do I want to do for a living today? What do I want to be you know, ideologically today? <laughs> I'm sure there are people who live like that and it sounds kind of like fun and adventurous, but not so practical. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I think they certainly women need this as well. Um, and yeah, no, I, I think that would be the answer that I think women need it too. I, I think that also because even though we technically live in an egalitarian world where women have the same opportunities as men, you know, big adult in the West, um, but in traditional societies, right, where there's an expectation that women are likely to marry a little bit younger than men, and it's more sort of acceptable for women to focus more on family building than on career. So if if a woman is not being as... Um, ambitious about pursuing higher education or finding a, a specific kind of career, 
it's it feels less dysfunctional very often because she can take sort of an entry level job and do unskilled labor. She can you know kind of work as a secretary or whatever, and that, and that's not as looked down upon as a young man who's supposed to be uh, you know providing for a family. I'm not saying whether this is right or wrong or anything. I'm just you know kind of describing why I think that we're seeing more of the guys having this crisis than than the young women. Very interesting. Well, Mrs. Liss, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This could be a much longer conversation. I think we're just opening up uh, the box at this point, and there's a lot more to discuss. But thank you so much. It's uh, always appreciated by myself and our listeners when you join us. Thank you. Can I say one more thing, please? Sure. I just, I also because I think when we have people who do have this anxiety about decision making and uh, and perfectionism, it's it's important to to note this that. You know, there's this idea of like you, we do need to make plans and we do need to set goals, but also kind of rebels, machshavas, believe each, you know, and 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 not only Hashem knows what's going to be. So what I'd like to suggest to people is plan in pencil. You know, like have have goals, have plans, create steps, create you know what we want to do, but be flexible and be willing to say, you know, what if this isn't working out, that's okay. I'm not a failure. We can try something else too. Very good. Make a plan, but be flexible on it. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be ready to pivot. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Joining us now is Mrs. Miriam Levitan. Mrs. Levitan is a highly respected Shafkin in Israel who deals with the Anglo-Haredi world in Israel. That ranges from yeshivish to modern Haredi. Mrs. Levitan, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure to be back on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So we are talking about plans. Is a plan a good thing? Is a plan not a good thing? And I thought a, a great source to find out if uh, yeshiva men, young men, young ladies are planning is to ask the Shadchadim. Uh, I think that's where we get the most accurate answer probably. So we'll start out with, with looking at the uh, young ladies who are looking for a, a young man. Are, are the girls or her parents ever asking you does he have a plan for what he's going to do? For example, I think the most prominent thing would be Parnassa. So when we say, does he have a plan? Are the girls looking for that or is that something that uh, they're not looking for? So in recent years, it has become much more prevalent to hear that a girl is looking for a boy with a plan. And Baruch Hashem, more boys than ever also have plans, even in Eretz Yisrael, because of the options of the programs that have opened here. It's definitely not a taboo question anymore. It was when I started many years ago. Today, it is definitely a more common question that I get. Uh -huh. Now, you, you, you uh, represent uh, ranging from yeshivish to uh, modern. Would you say your answer differs based on yeshivish versus modern? Yeah, I would say it definitely would. Yet, even in the very, um, in Israel, the words are a little different, the very Haredi, I guess that would be more yeshivish circles, even then there is more of a talk of what's going to be in the future, as opposed to, you know, no, I only want a learning boy. Like, not everyone is coming and saying, I only want a learning boy ever. That is not the refrain that I'm hearing today. Ah, so so it, you, you're getting both. I want a guy who's learning or I want to get a guy who has a plan. One or the other. Right. We're learning for as long as possible, but I need to know he's going to be responsible. Oh, that, yeah. that is that is a very common um, request. That's interesting. Okay. So the people who are looking for somebody who is in learning, going to stay in learning or become a Rebbe, Clay Kodesh, are they asking more detail about his learning? What does he learn? How many hours does he learn a day? Does he love his learning? Is he good at learning? Or are they just saying, you see, I want somebody who's learning and, and that suffices? 
It's mostly, I just want someone in learning. Most people are not asking those details. It could be to ask it to the Rosh Hashivas when they call them references, but they're not asking the Shatranim for those details. Uh-huh. But when they ask about a uh, plan, a Parnassa, do they get into the specifics? Oh, he has a plan. Well, what does he want to do? Or is it just, uh, does he have a plan and that's it? Um, they definitely ask for specifics. Um, usually, is it academic or is it just in enough or clay kodesh? That, that there's definitely a... Uh, a specific question asked there. And sometimes it's also, is he going to go to a degree or is he just going to go work in something? That is also uh, a line that people tend to uh, clear. That, that's and, interesting. Well, why do you think we're asking more about the Parnassa because we care more about the Parnassa as opposed to he's learning? Is that just uh, he's learning, okay, check the box? Or or they could be asking the Rosh Hashiva. If they're asking the Rosh Hashiva, then they're getting into more detail on that. But if they're not getting into more detail on that, I, I think that may be scuffically a little problematic that we're caring more about the Parnassa than uh, the re- reality of his really being good and learning and caring about his learning. Right. So I don't want to put it to that. I think just if a girl is speaking to me as a shotgun, girls in general don't know the difference between one way of learning and another. So they, they don't have what to ask. So when the father will call the Rosh Hashiva and will know what to ask, he'll ask the questions that I guess would be important to him that he would understand. I mean, even as a mother of Rav Chem, I have seven sons. I, I don't know the difference. <laughs> you know, I think so, that's a fair answer. I think that's a fair answer. Um, wh- why don't we look at, at the other side of things when it comes to boys? Young man looking for his kala, does he or his parents ask, does she have a plan supporting for supporting the family? Does she have a degree? Does she have an occupation? And uh, a similar but maybe very different question, do they ask, does the family have money? So the answer is yes. The girls are put on high pedestals. Yes. What are you doing? How, you know, where are you holding in your studies? You know, definitely the girls' panasa is a big, big issue. And does the girl's family have money? Yes. Uh, in Eretz Yisrael, that is a very big factor. Not necessarily do they have money, but do they have a down payment towards the Dira, which is the way it works here. So that that is a very big factor. Um, the type of job, how well paying it's going to be, and how much money the parents have towards a down payment. Those two are major factors for learning boys. Uh-huh. And how common is it that they ask those questions? Is it all the time? Uh, sometimes? All the time. It's, uh, now, let's say it's 98% of the time. There will be some, you know, either people just starting out in Shidduchim or Americans who don't know the system or people like that who don't know they're supposed to ask it in advance. But most people know because their sons have told them because the Rosh Hashivas have made it clear that that's important. That's, that's how they're educated, to yeah. say Magieli or something like that. Well, let, let's not make everyone sound bad. <laughs> it's just... I want to stay learning. How's it going to work for me? How's it going to work? Let's drink it so nice. Very good. Now, what other things are the boys or the girls asking? about? We've been talking about Parnassa. Do they ask about where do they want to live or how large a family do they want to have or Ashkafa values? Are those also asked or is that something more that they'll figure out when they meet together? No. So Ashkafa is considered very important. And where people are going to live is also considered very important. It seems to be a real factor. I want to live in the center. I don't want to live in the periphery, as we call it here. I guess periphery, you know, that's a full of the standard to, you know, up north, down south. No, we don't want to live there. And the reasons are usually given because I want to stay close to established Torah centers. I don't want to be a pioneer. I'm not that idealistic. I'm not that Israeli. I deal with an Anglo crowd. Um, those are usually the the reasons given. So uh, it's uh, it's refreshing to meet 
a young man or woman who's willing to go out and live in a cheaper place to, you know, help ease the financial burden in the future or just to be idealistic and build a community. So that, that's more rare to find those and it's refreshing when I do. Right. And well, what else would you say is commonly asked? And also, what are one of the some of the more strange, unexpected questions that you've been asked? Well, common is, is always personality. That's always a, a biggie, you know, how quiet, how loud. Um, strange things, um, I guess everyone has their their thing that they, they need for themselves. Some people ask about ethos. Some people ask about uh, where do people go on vacation. I mean, I've had Chita from go down on we don't make weddings in and fill in the blank. You know, too fancy, too simple. It goes in either direction, which I've been asked that before they've even pursued the person, where would they make the wedding? So to me, that was just like irrelevant and strange, but it gets asked quite uh, commonly, um, which is, you know, not really relevant to marriage in my opinion. So um, people like staying in these socioeconomic comfort zones and don't want to go poorer or richer. That that seems to be a, a factor. They want they don't want to go to richer or or how about uh, less? less uh... Yeah, or poorer. Yeah, they don't want that either. But it, it was surprising to me that people didn't want to go rich. They, they feel that that's not where they want to be either. You know, they'll be controlled or they'll be pushed into something that's not comfortable. They'll be out of learning faster because, you know, more, more demands on their finances, all kinds of interesting reasons. We don't want a fancy family is, is a refrain I hear a lot. Yeah, so that, that that may be different from do they have wealth as opposed to they, do they live on a wealthy level? And and right. maybe want the, the the wealthy father-in-law, but they don't want to live the lavish lifestyle because that is more reflective of values. Right. Uh, yeah, I hear that. Mm-hmm. Right. Very interesting. Well, Mrs. Levitan, thank you so much. Very interesting. Okay. Well, I'll end with a, a cute story. Um, I had a, a very idealistic girl that came to us many years ago when people were still very idealistic, and she only wanted learning, learning forever. Nothing else, not kind of just learning. And we found her that idealistic, passionate boy who was on the same wavelength as her. And they were happily married. And a year into the marriage, they had a baby. And a year later, they had twins. And he needed to go to work because they couldn't make it. And um, Baruch Hashem, they learned how to figure it out. A person can stay in Torah and support his family. And that should not be a contradiction. And that's a message that needs to get out there. Paul, agree with that message. You never know when Akadosh Baruch Hu is going to send you and you have to be flexible and know that uh, going out to work is uh, certainly an option, sometimes necessary, and alternatively, sometimes going back to learning should also be an option as well. Right. Mrs. Levitan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Okay. I'll do. Joining us now is Rabbi Nassana Lauer, also known as Rabbi Tani Lauer. Rabbi Lauer is the Mashkiach of Ma'arava, one of the flagship high schools, Yeshiva, which he uses to advise couples and Bahrim and Shalom Chinuch, and life in general. He learned in the Hebron Yeshiva. He learned in the Mir for over 10 years. He has written on Tara Samishpacha, Hilchas Nida, and he did Shemush with Rav Moshe Sturmbach and Rav Yitzhak Berkowitz as well. Rabbi Lauer, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to, to speak with you, Rabbi Lauer. So, Rabbi Lauer, you have broad experience and deep experience with Bahrim High School, Yeshiva Gvo. I know you keep in touch with hundreds and hundreds of Bahrim. They go on to even learn in the Kolel in Marava and that you're running as well. So you really have uh, your pulse, your finger on the pulse of so many of those points 
that uh, these Bahrim and that Mary that they, they have in life. So love to get your take on, we'll talk about Parnas, we'll talk about learning. On a high level, if somebody goes to a secular route, and uh, we'll talk about outside of Israel, because it's a little bit different in Israel, they go and they're planning on going and having a Parnas, so they'll go to high school and they'll take the SAT or whatever exams it is, and then you go to college and you choose something that will facilitate earning a lot of money, and uh, you want to choose the right job and uh, go to graduate school, and you have annual reviews, and you try to put up the push up the amount that you learn each year, and you try to get a bonus, etc. When it comes to somebody who's in the yeshiva track, the Haredi track, the yeshiva track, is there anything similar, even as uh, parallel as just planning on a parnasa, looking to get a nice salary, or is the focus simply on learning for as long as possible? Okay, so I think that's a great question, and I think it's important for us to first define what we call a goal before we continue the conversation. Like you said, in a secular education, goals are basically the basis of the entire education. We're, we are focusing on getting a high school diploma. We're fo- focusing on getting a BA, an MA, maybe a PhD, licensing that will be able to be used in a real way, whether it's in Parnassa, maybe it's also in Parnassa and teaching, but whatever it is, it's a very, very clear-based, very goal-based uh, system. In, in yeshiva, I would not say that the system is as goal, goal-based goal as it is in the secular education. And I think the reason for that is the the, the basis of yeshiva is really built on the Volozhin yeshiva and the mission statement of yeshivas from the Nefesh HaChaim, which really says that learning Torah, every second of learning Torah is a goal unto itself. It's an accomplishment unto itself. So, so really, if we're talking about goals in the secular terminology, using that terminology, I don't know if it would be as applicable to what we would call goals in learning Torah, because learning Torah every second is a goal no matter, no matter what. At the same time, at the same time, uh, it could be it could be that uh, having what we would call a secular goal within your learning will enhance the learning. It will make a person happier in their learning. It will make a person feel more accomplished and they might be able to do that learning in an, in, in, in a better way. And maybe even in 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 what we would call in secular terms, a more accomplished way um, because they feel like they're producing. And an example of this would be even in Avodah Hashem, not specifically in learning Torah, in Avodah Hashem, we would ask people, what's your goal in life, let's say? And a person might say, my goal in life is to be the best even Hashem that I can be, which is a great goal, and and that maybe is the goal in life. What does the Kodesh Baruch want me to do? We have a Sefer that tells us how to be an Avodah Hashem and how to work on Avodah Hashem. The Ramchal wrote the, the guide for everybody to try to reach the, the greatest levels in Avodah Hashem, the Messiah Sisharim. And what's interesting about the Messiah Sisharim is that even though every level of Avodah Hashem that a person's effort that they're putting in is recognized and there's schar for that effort in and of itself, still the Messiah Sisharim, the Rahav, feels it important to set clear goals. In the first parak, when he's setting up the entire Sefer, and he's going to talk about Zihiros and then Zerizos and go up the ladder to get to the goal of being over Hashem in Hasidus, how does he start Perik Aleph after the Hakdama? He's telling us, you know, we're not going to speak about the 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 Hasidus right now. We're going to talk about different levels. We're going to talk about 
the Zihirus, the Zerizus, different levels, Vodas Hashem, but we have to know where we're going. Because when we know where we're, where we're going, we have a, a goal, we, we won't lose direction. Even if we don't get to that goal, but we know what we're working for. And one other Nakuda that I would just like to add, so that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm explaining, I just want to make sure that this Nakuda comes out, this point comes out clearly. An example that I give Talmidim all the time is that you might have a person who's very, very bright. He has a photographic memory. He has a very quick understanding of things. And he learns Dafyomi for one hour, maybe a little bit more a day. And after seven and a half years, he knows Shas, Gemara, Rashi, Tesvis. He's bright. He could tell you what that things are on. He could he could quote you Tesisim, and it's very very impressive. And sometimes you have a person who's not that bright, and he's sitting and learning in yeshiva, and he learned through a half of Masechaksuvas this man, a different half of another Masech another's man, but he was working and he was steiging, and he and it was hard for him. That person in the Nefesh Achaim's world might have maybe more scar. I know that we can't. Uh, we don't know how to, how to really measure schar, but but in the in, in the yeshiva system, it's not the goal that tells us how much a person accomplished. It's the effort that the person put in. But we could use, like we see in the in, in the Mitzvah Yisharim, we could use the secular terminology of goal to help us put in that effort, to help us strive to want to put in the effort because we'll feel more accomplished when we're doing it. So what I'm hearing actually is that there are two benefits of goals. Number one is it motivates us. It gives us a target. And if we achieve those targets or at least part of the target, we'll feel more satisfied with the growth that we are feeling. So it's really those two things. I guess one is a lechatchila. One is before the fact and one is after the fact. I wouldn't call it bidyevid, but you know, one is before the fact motivates us. And after the fact, we feel satisfied because we feel we are accomplishing more. So I guess another takeaway from this is that goals are helpful in our learning. They're not the goal of the goal. Our goal is not to have goals, but... They are certainly helpful in helping us get along the process. And the process is critical, but goals really help us in getting through that process. And goals in of themselves are also a positive thing. So Rabbi Lauer, let's start because you have such a broad experience in dealing with uh, young men through the process of uh, high school and thereafterward, all the way through marriage and continuing. Walk us through the big decision or decisions when it comes to a boy in a, uh, a yeshiva in uh, Eretz Yisrael, and we're talking now Marava being a Haredi uh, yeshiva. Maybe compare that also to what we would see in the United States. I know you uh, know a lot of people and uh, processes that uh, the young men have to go through. Okay, so I would say that I'll probably focus on what I seen in a, in a place like Marava. At the same time, I'll just be mishaches. I'll just uh, uh, one one point. We'll speak about as far as my friends uh, in America that are teaching in, let's say, modern Orthodox places, modern Orthodox yeshivas, high schools. Uh, those are obviously very very different decisions that they're making. And based on what they want to accomplish in life, in the long term, in the long term, their decision is going to be different than, let's say, a, a bacher in 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 Marava of what or of, of what the goal of what the goal is going to be. So, in a, in a more modern Orthodox yeshiva, they're probably looking at what is called a gap year uh, yeshiva seminary. I don't like the the terminology gap year. It sounds like a person's taking off from life and sort of doing something that's not connected to the rest of their life. I would rather rather call it a bridge year. 
It's a bridge year because it might be the most important year, or maybe the more, most important years that helps a, a young a young man, a young a young woman uh, understand how they're gonna take their avodas Hashem into their next level of life, depending on what college they're going to, depending on what they want to accomplish afterwards. And based on that, they have to decide what what program is the best for them. And some of these programs do unbelievable work preparing preparing these to lead them for the next stage of life. When we're talking about a place more like Marava, for sure, if we're talking about a place that I would say is even more mainstream Haredi, Shiva Katana um, in, in Eretz Yisrael. So then I would say that the main the main focus of, of the decision is what yeshiva am I going to go to that's going to help me learn the best, and be oivet Hakadosh Baruch Hu in a, in a, in 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 a better way. So, for instance, in Marava, I would say most most ruba the ruba, almost all talmidim are going to regular Haredi yeshivas. They're going to good yeshivas. They're going to Chevron. They're going to Wolfson. They're going to Itri. They're going to Mir Brachvel. They're going to Or Yisrael. They're going to very very good yeshivas. And and a lot of times, uh, making a decision of what yeshiva to go to could be. Like could the focus could be lost a little bit because people want to uh, they want to be proud. I could say, oh, I'm going to this yeshiva. A certain amount of gaiva. Uh, maybe it has to do with shidduchim. Maybe it has to do with a lot of other things of what 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 the bachar and the family are keeping in the back of their mind. And our avoda as mechanchim is trying to guide both the talmidim and the parents based on this Talmud, what would be the best for him in his in his avodas Hashem and in his learning how to make that decision. The best way, which yeshiva would be both matim for him? A lot of great yeshivas out there. That does not mean it's the best yeshiva for this specific Talmud. So Rabbi Lauer, it's, it's a subjective issue. It's going to be what's best for my learning, my avoda, and that should be what is the deciding factor in going from high school to yeshiva gvoa. We're now in yeshiva gvoa, and along the way, typically they stay for five years in Eretz Yisrael, and... Uh, if we're talking about the yeshiva crowd uh, from Chutzlar, sometimes they stay in Lakewood for a uh, they'll, they'll come to learn for a year, two years, three years, and then go back to Lakewood, maybe go to the Mir. And what are the big decisions at that point that they have to make? Obviously, when to start dating is a decision, and uh, to, uh, we have thoughts of uh, earning a Parnassah, or even if you're going to stay in learning, but we also have to uh, think about the reality. Or do we have to think about the reality that bills will be coming in and uh, costs have gone up dramatically in the past few months alone. And uh, when do we start thinking about those very real issues? Okay, so I think that's a great question. I'd like to split it into maybe two parts of a Bachar's yeshiva experience. Again, we're focusing on on Bachrim that are happy in yeshiva, Bachrim that are in, I would say, mainstream yeshivas. And those Bachrim I would say at the beginning part of their of their yeshiva years, first, second, third, maybe even fourth year, uh, depending on when they're going to start dating, the real focus is on themselves. The focus is how can I learn this masechus the best, whatever you, whatever masechus the yeshiva is learning. How can I make sure that my davening will be the best? How can I make sure that I can find some type of vat or some type of musar saver that can help me build myself the best? The goal is really focusing on the individual and they're building them building themselves in their avodas Hashem. 
Now that's the first part of Yeshiva Gedola. And Yeshiva Gedola hopefully is providing an atmosphere, not just sitting and learning and to, to, to gain more information. It's an atmosphere that should that should help the Avodah Hashem. When a person decides that they want to date, so then they have to already think about themselves. How am I going to, how am I going to build a bias Nemo Bishol? What would I want that house to look like? Because the better that I know myself, the better I'll be able to date and to explain what my, what I want my house to look like, what I want my life to look like. And based on that, a person's going to have to make certain decisions because he's going to want to know, am I going to go, am I going to go out with a girl that wants a guy that's sitting and learning forever, at least as an ideal, or do I want someone that wants a guy that's going to learn for a year or two? Because we want to start off our life as, as someone that is revolved around Torah. It's a good way to start off to start off a life, and then to go start and learn something, or to start to start doing something for our parnasa. So I would say, at, at what a person's ideals are and how they want the rest of their life to look like, that they have to start thinking about seriously. Uh, I would say at least a good uh, two, three months before they're about to start uh, shiduchim, and I would, I, you know, I would even say I said I tell this to Bachram all the time when we're preparing them for shiduchim. I'm giving vaidim. I'm preparing uh, some of our our graduates, our bogrim for shiduchim, and I tell them that when you go out on on, on dates, when you're going to go out, you're going to talk about an ideal way of how you want your life to look. So. Don't get stuck on, well, what if we're not going to have enough money? What if someone has a medical issue and we have to go to Chutzlaret? We don't know the what ifs that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is going to throw us in life. We don't know those curveballs. What we do know is what's important to us in life, what our ideals are. And based on that, I want to be able to marry a person that has similar ideals to me so that if and when a Kodesh Baruch Hu sends curveballs and we might not be able to be on the same on the same path that we thought we would be on, but we're going to make our decisions based on those same goals. And I think that's a very, very important. And sometimes Baruch need need help to be to 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 define themselves. And sometimes they'll find that those that help in Yeshiva Gadola if they connect it to someone in their Yeshiva Gadola. And sometimes they'll come back to someone in their Yeshiva Gatan or in Marova or uh, whatever yeshiva it is, someone that they feel that they could speak over these ideas with in order to get them clearer so that they'll be able to build the rest of their life in, um, like we would say, more goal-oriented with the ideals that we want to build our lives on. All right, so what I'm hearing is the focus on values. So you're in yeshiva, focus on yourselves initially, learn the masechta, build your midos, and prior to going out on shiduchim, two to three months, hopefully two to three years or 20 years, you should focus on what your values are to get in touch with yourself and try to find someone who has common values to you. If you have common values, you'll use those values as the basis to weather the storms of life. But if you don't have common values, then that is going to create problems. So based on that, based on that, um, do they start thinking about Parnassah? And if not, if they're going the... Colo route and most of the young men, I'm not going to call them boys, young men at that yeah. point are going the Colo route. It could be a year, two years, five years. 
10 years. So so the, the other question then is, when do you think about Parnassa? And that could be somebody who's going to go out to work or somebody who's going to continue to learn. But costs have gone up significantly, and uh, we'd have to focus on that as well. Um, a overlay to that is somebody who wants to stay in learning for the longer term is, I want to learn. Is that a plan and is that a value? Is that enough of a value or a plan? Or do you need more than that? Can so many times the boys say, I want to learn. Uh, is that sufficient? Or should they be thinking a little bit deeper than that? So I think that's a great, that's a great question. And um, I think, you know, I would, give, I, would give, I would give an example of when I teach, when I teach Hassanim. A lot of times when I'm teaching Hassanim and I'll ask them, I'll ask them, what are their, what are their plans? What are their plans? What are their plans even to look to look for a colo? And sometimes they have great answers. Sometimes they 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 say, you know, I'm looking for a colo based on X, Y, and Z. And sometimes they'll tell me that they're looking for a colo based on how much money the colo is going to pay me. And I I and I use that that answer as a as an opening to discuss with them how we should look at life in general, because. If a person's going to stay in learning, if it's for one or two years, you have to decide what you want to accomplish in your learning in your one or two years. What part of Torah talks to you? Do you want to learn halacha? Do you want to learn iyun? Do you want to learn bikiyas? Uh, you want to be a dayan? You have to decide what part of Torah talks to you and what you want to feel that you're accomplishing within your learning. And and based on that, you should pick a koilo. Based on that, you should pick what you want to what you want to be doing, and then maybe you'll find two or three different kolalim that are doing that. So then you can decide, okay, maybe this kolal I'll go to because it's doing that. Plus, it will be playing more, paying more money, or plus because I like the chaber there, whatever it is. But a person should really focus on on what they're what they're thinking of what they want to accomplish within their learning. As far as the question when we're talking about Parnassa, so the way the world works today, uh, Ben Latayev, Ben Lamutov, is that is that most most of the young couples are being are are leaning on the help of their parents, of their in-laws. Um, girls are are working or going to finish school in order to work to help support the family, and um, and you know that's something I think that's really across the board. Even people that are that are not learning in Kolo, that are going to graduate school, or that are that are uh, you know maybe a medical school, sometimes are being are getting supported or being helped, or they're 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 being helped uh, for many many years, sometimes even more years than a guy that's sitting and learning in 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 in, in uh, So I think that that's a pretty much uh, accepted type of beginning of a person's marriage again ben latoyev ben lamutov it adds its ups and it has and it has its downs um and i think for every person they'll have to based on their ideals of what they spoke about with their with their wives uh with their kalas before they got before they before they got uh married uh to see okay when is the proper time to start speaking about the next stage you know if we spoke about the next stage being two years Let's reassess. Sometimes after two years, a guy wants to sit and learn, and his wife wants him to sit and learn more. Sometimes, sometimes things change. Sometimes they don't change. So one 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 nakuda that maybe is worth just throwing out there, which is something that I think about. I don't have anything definitive to actually uh, say about it. 
is that it could be, it could be, I think about this, I'm not even sure, but it could be that, for instance, if we're going 20, 25 years ago, uh, the, the the idea of making a Parnassa was really based on getting a good degree. And uh, people that were thinking about Parnassa would go and they would, you know, they would become an accountant, they would go to law school, they would uh, go to medical school, and that would basically ensure some type of, of, of Parnassa, obviously not all the time. We know people that have gone for degrees and also uh, that was that was the Mahalach. Today, uh, many, many yeshiva boys see uh, a lot of their uh, you know, friends, or I would say people in their communities that are five or six years older than them, that learned in Kolo for a bunch of years and then just went into business. I don't know if they went into nursing homes or uh, they went into construction, they went into real estate, and they did very, very well. And uh, and sometimes boys use that as, as you know, for our conversation, for a plan. Yeah, I want to make up Parnassa. I want to sit and learn. I don't see a, I don't see an importance to go to, to college necessarily to make my Parnassa. Look at all of these other people that are making a Parnassa without going to college. And that's going to be my plan. Um, that might be good. That might not be good. I'm sure, I'm sure you have what to say about that. Sometimes yeah. it's a successful plan. Sometimes it is not. It may That's be realistic. It may not be realistic. It may be some yachidim that have hit it big, and uh, many others have struggled. And I think somebody has to do some uh, some studies, uh, empirical studies, on uh, if that's something really that the hamonam can strive for or if that's just uh, certain individuals that have tremendous success and other people are not going to have that success. And also... In the past number of years, it's really been an up market in real estate and the stock market. And as uh, some of the investment pros say, uh, and monkey can make money in the up years, it's really when we have the down years and the challenging years that it's not so easy. But I'll turn it back over to you, Rabbi Lauer. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know if to be insulted. You said a monkey can make money. I guess I'm not even a monkey. I didn't I didn't do that in the past. In the past. You didn't try. You didn't try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, I do think... I do think that um, that that a person should at least think about what he's good at. The 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 Chayvus in Shara Bitochon, when he actually talks about Parnasa, he says that Kadosh Baruch Hu gave us all interests, he gave us all abilities, he gave us all talents, and Kadosh Baruch Hu wants us to use those talents. So I you know I think that a lot of times, a lot of times, those those those, those talents could be used. For instance, even within clay kodesh, they could be used within within chinuch for people that want to. And sometimes those talents could be used uh, as a bentayra, doing many many other things. You know, I, you know, I could even tell you sometimes how people say to me, you know, "It was so nice." I went to Ploni Almoni, who's a doctor. He's like a really from bentayra. It was so nice to, to 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 have that experience as opposed to going to someone that's very different than me. So, so I, I do think that, you know, this is a very individual question. I think that people have to have some type of mentor that they are in touch with that can help them, that could help guide them. It's a very individual, unfortunately, unfortunately or, for, or fortunately, we live in a world that the Chino system is very standardized, which has its ups and sometimes it has its downs like every system. And when we get this question, this is for every mechanic to be able to be open-minded enough to see, okay, what's good 
for this person's avodas Hashem, and sometimes for this person's avodas Hashem, it's good to to uh, you know to to do something before Parnassah because he'll be he'll feel better in an avodas Hashem if he's doing that. Right, right. So, Rabbi Lauer, just to recap, because I've seen a strain go throughout as we've been talking, and and it seems to me what you're saying, and you're very consistent when it comes to uh, somebody leaving high school and making a decision, choose the best yeshiva for you. That's a subjective thing. That's not a, an objective criteria. You said the same thing when somebody is choosing a kolel, choose the best kolel future based based on money. If you're looking for avodas Hashem, do it right. And now you're saying the same thing when it comes to Aparnas, if that is going to be the healthiest thing for some to somebody to do, and subjectively that is going to be the best avoda for him, he should do that as well. And I think that's a very healthy way to look at things. Rabbi Lauer, uh, I, is that correct? Did I recap it correctly? It, it is perfectly. Okay. Perfectly. So Rabbi Lauer, I want to thank you so much for joining us. A lot of great insights and uh, comparisons to the U.S. and Israel. And the trajectory, very interesting. And I hope a lot of people listening this, to this can uh, benefit significantly from all the experiences that you've shared with us. Thank you very much. I hope so as well. Joining us now is Mrs. Bella Beer. Mrs. Beer is a longtime Shadchan and now primarily a dating coach. She is also a columnist in the Ated and Achtus magazine. She is located in Lakewood but works worldwide via video. So, uh, Mrs. Beer, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So we are talking about plans. Are plans a good thing? Is plans a bad thing? Do they get in the way of your learning? And I thought, what's what's the best way to get a true answer to what's going on? Do young men have plans? Do they not have plans? How about the young ladies? And do they care if the other one, when they're dating, has a plan or not? So why don't we start with, do uh, young ladies, girls, or for parents ever ask, does he have an, a plan? Does he have a plan for what he wants to do, for example, for Parnassa? He's learning right now, but does he have a plan? So, of course, they ask that. Um, they have always asked that. It's not something new. It's something that's been going on forever. The question is how ashamed they are to ask it or how embarrassed they get to ask it. Um, and I think more and more the question is, you know, do they think about it? It's it's not a, it's not anymore like a, I, I do get occasionally very yeshivish people that kind of are taken aback by the question. But in general, I think it's a very accepted in, in today's time to ask if a boy has a, a plan. Yeah, it's accepted now. Was it accepted five years, ten years ago? Was it less acceptable back then? Or... It was acceptable 40 years ago, and it was uh, acceptable now. But I think somewhere in between, it became unacceptable. Uh, kind of like, what do you mean? Um, you're learning. And, you know, Hashem will provide. And I do firmly believe in Hashem will provide. But I think girls like to hear that the boy understands that the all of Parnassa will eventually be on him. As much as girls today are also super accomplished, they are all going out and getting degrees in therapies and whatnot, even more than that sometimes. But they still want to hear that the boy understands that I mean, it's Hashem, if your kids come along, it will be his responsibility to help or even be the main uh, provider of Pranasa. Now, what's the downside of asking that question? You said they are embarrassed, ashamed, or a little bit weary of asking the question. So what what's the psychology going on there? And, and uh, do they ask the question in a different way to try to dance around the issue? And, and what's the concern, that they'll get blacklisted because... Um... Yeah, so no, they're not going to get blacklisted, but sometimes people are just taken aback why if you really want a serious learner, that shouldn't be something that he's worried about now. 
Um, and also depends if there's um, family business that the, that the boy could go into, you know, that makes things obviously much easier because a lot of boys that are going to learn for a long time and then they're going to start school at that point. It's, it's a long haul for, for a girl, even if she wants a serious learner, she doesn't want to hear that for 10 years, they have to, to rely on someone else to support them or her to support them. At the same time, there are that percentage of, you know, clay kaidesh that are the, the boys that are going to be clay kaidesh. And then I think it's just, we don't ask them at all. So, so if the boy does want to be a clay kodesh and he wants to stay and learn, he become a Rebbe, does the girl ask, what does he learn? How much does he learn? How many hours does he learn? Does he really love his learning or it just says he wants to learn? I think that the father has to find that out before they're going up. I don't, I don't think that's, it's definitely the father speaks to the Rebbeam and finds that I was talking about the real deal here. Um, and then if that's what his daughter is looking for, he'll find that out before they go out. Hopefully, uh, honestly and correctly. Okay, interesting. Now let, let's uh, sit on the other side of the table and talk about uh, boys asking. Do boys or his parents ask, does she have a plan for supporting the family? Or do they ask, does uh, the family have money or something like that? Is it only a question that's typically asked from the girl? Or is the, does the boy ask those questions as well? The boy sometimes does ask that. I think it's like, I'm sorry to say, not not a very smart question to ask as far as does the family have money because everyone knows money comes, money goes. You know, I, I could tell you stories about people that married because of money and the money was gone and, you know, unfortunately the marriage then suffered greatly. So it's not a good uh, basis actually to base your marriage on. Uh, but at the same time, um, I think that a boy, I actually know a friend of my son's who his mother told me he's not going to start dating. He wants to date an older girl because She'll have already finished school and she can already work to help support where while he's going to learn for the next few years. And and that worked out for them perfectly. So I don't really think that you could generalize um, every single situation. And it also has to do with how serious the learner is and and how intent they are on, on you know, and, and how much they're willing to sacrifice also for the learning. I think that's a part they got lost in today's generation a little bit. Right. So as we're talking about plans... We've been talking about typically when somebody says, do they have a plan? It means Parnassa. But are, are people asking about plans for where they want to live, how many kids they want to have, or hope to have? What are the other things that people ask when it comes to forecasting to the future? I think that is things that are discussed on the date as the dating gets more serious. I don't know that that's always something that we ask or ever something that we ask uh, totally before a date starts. But as the girl and boy get a little more serious, they'll have that conversation amongst themselves. Okay, so good game that helps them with that called um, perfect matches. I always recommend that they play as it gets um, more serious because that brings up a lot of uh, awkward topics in a more natural way. It's called perfect matches? Yeah. Perfect matches. Today at the store. What was that? I'm sorry? Why an energy day at the store. Interesting. Very interesting. So one more question for you. Um, what are some of the interesting questions that you've been asked, you know, talking about plans. What else are they asking out there that you sometimes say, that's an interesting one, or I, I thought I saw them all, I thought I heard them all, and that's not one that I heard before. There's, there's a lot of strange questions out there, but I actually was going to tell you a story about a Parnassar-related question that that shows you why it's not something that you should really be too worried about. But uh, many, many years ago, a friend of mine called me up. I'll say it very quick. Her daughter was dating a boy, learning boy. She was she wanted a learning boy. And right before they were ready to drink L'chaim, the boy's family said, you know, we told you we're going to share support, but we really want you to give 75% and we're going to give 
And the, the woman called me up and she was very, very distraught because she didn't have the money that was needed. And she said, what should I do? This stuff is really happening, but I, I can't stop. You know, I, so I said, let me ask you a question. Did they give you a number? Did they say 75% of what number you have to give? Or are they just going to give less than what you're giving? So she goes, no, they didn't give a number. I said, well, then you talk to your daughter and if they can manage with less money, you still give the same amount that you're going to give. And the other side is just going to give less and they'll have to manage. And she did. And they got married and they went to Aristotle to learn. They were fine. And two years later, when they came back, he started working. And within five years of him working, he was supporting his parents, his in-laws and everyone. He was making over a million dollars a year because he was, and he had no college and he had no plan. And I tell the story a lot because in the end of the day, without standing, sounding all holy, everything comes from Hashem. And you could plan as much as you want. At the end of the day, if you're supposed to have a pranasa and be comfortable, you will. And if you're not supposed to, you won't. No matter if you marry very rich or don't marry very rich, no matter how many questions you ask before you start dating um, the boy or the girl, there's no guarantees. Uh, and 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 they're very happy. So and they're married about uh, 15, 20 years already. So. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting story. But did she see something in him, in him that she saw that he was a motivated individual? Because I don't think that that was her. That was no, and if you look at him today, he does not seem to be a motivated individual at all. And literally, she trust they trusted. Uh, they were able to manage. They really liked each other. They thought it was a perfect shutoff, and it happened, and and everything worked out. Now it doesn't always work out perfectly. Things don't always work out perfectly. And I could tell you stories the opposite, also unfortunately. But really delving delving into the money beforehand is something. It's it's it's, it's something. It's just like you're not a sham. You're not gonna. You're you're not Parnassus is going to come or not going to come. Hopefully, it will come. As much as you plan, it right. may not happen. Exactly. Very good, Mrs. Beer. Is it okay if I give out your email address if people want to contact you? Okay, so uh, it's Bella B E L L A Beer B E E R one eighty at gmail dot com. Once again, Bella Beer one eighty at gmail dot com. Mrs. Beer, thank you so much for joining us. Really a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you.